Welcome to Mandarin Baptist Church, where we are the generations declaring the redemptive story of God on Everyday Mission. Thank you so much for setting aside time to join us as we open Scripture together. Whether this is your first time joining us or if you listen in weekly, we want you to know that we are so thankful you are here. We believe God has something for each of us today. We know God is always working and speaking, and our prayer is that this message will minister to your heart as much as it has with us. Before we get started, there are a couple things for you to know. First of all, we would love to connect with you on a deeper level and even help you take your next step of faith, whatever that might be. A great first step is joining us on campus for one of our worship gatherings on Sundays at 8.30 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. We would also love to help you get connected to one of our small groups. Regardless of what life stage we are in, we strongly believe that we were not created to go through this life alone. We need people to come alongside of us and to help point each other toward Christ and encourage a deeper pursuit of God in our lives. For more information or questions you might have, please check us out online at mandarinbaptist.org. On our website, you will find groups for every age, as well as dates for events like Discover Mandarin, which is a great way to learn a little bit more about who we are, different ministries we are involved in, and local and global missions partners. You can like, follow, and join a live stream of our Sunday services at facebook.com slash Mandarin Baptist Church. So now, as we dive into scripture today and we hear the truths of God, we pray our lives are shaped by what His Spirit will speak to us. We hope His words will be written upon our hearts and we will move toward Christ as we check out this week's message. If you have scripture with you, I would love to open together to Paul's letter to the church at the Corinth. It's the first letter and the seventh chapter and the 17th verse. And I think we're going to take some steps into scripturally where we've been for the last um, bit uh, as a church in worship. And so um, I'm praying that we'll know Jesus more as a result of the opening of his scripture. Uh, I'm praying that we will love him more together as we open scripture, and I'm praying that God will guide us to live as he's living, as he walked this earth and as he's living out through us. And so that's my prayer for us. And uh, Paul is an encourager. This is what I love about Paul. Um, He is a guy who speaks life and who doesn't need a little bit of encouragement. So I mean, I thank you. I, I enjoy it and I'm thankful for it. Um, some of the things that we should understand about encouragement, it's, it's really uh, biblical encouragement is going to affirm us. It's going to uh, be compelling for us. It's going to correct us. And Paul is also going to rebuke us at times. And so when he's kind of sitting down with the church at Corinth, he's meeting them where they are and then inviting them to um, do more than sing that your way is better, but actually live this out. 
and um, pray this out. And so um, it's a pretty challenging thing that Paul has going on with the church. And so here's what he said. Um, I've asked you to turn to seven, chapter 7, verse 17. Um, I just want to read the first chapter, the second verse. It's on the screen, so you don't have to turn back to it. He writes an encouragement, like identity encouragement, to the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called as saints. This word calling is going to be a big deal today. And so um, he just kind of begins with this church with encouragement, like, you guys are a hot mess, but you are sanctified in Jesus and you are called as saints. I, I was not speaking to you. Paul's saying that to the church at Corinth. I'm really thankful for who you are. And what this means is you've been set apart by God. That's being sanctified. Um, You are called in him, and this is an important calling. Um, To be sanctified means, and so here's a moment that I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will just rest your soul, that you already have ultimate approval, acceptance, that you have been called out in identity with Jesus Christ. And if you're a follower of his, you're no longer seeking approval. You have it in him. You've been made whole and made new. And this will drive your decision making. This will drive your practice of your calling. And this will be incredibly liberating for the body of Christ. And also, he says we're hagios. We are saints. That means we're a people that are uniquely set apart by God. What this means for us, um, being a hack, it means that we're not spending our, our energy um, looking around at the people around you going, I hope I can build an, an identity around you. I hope that I am building respect or honor or whatever word you're looking for or thing you're looking for to impress other people. It means that you have already received the identity of a saint in Jesus Christ through Christ, and therefore your life is by, for, through, and to him. And a lot, of, a lot of us are scurrying with attempts to make impressions upon other people or to even make some impression upon ourselves that we finally um, sense that we're acceptable. And I just come to you with great news. If you have come to know Jesus, you are accepted. If you have come to know Jesus, you are set apart. If you have come to know Jesus, you are called as a saint of his. And if you've come to know Jesus, you are sanctified, meaning you have been set apart for some amazing things in Christ Jesus. You're not building this, you're receiving this. Let liberty um, make its way into the room. And so I think Paul, because for really picking up in chapter 7 and walking through for the next bit, is having all kinds of correction with the church. But recognize this, that he began his message saying, you're sanctified, you're set apart, you're called, you are enough because he's enough. And so can we just kind of move into some discipline and rebuke and challenge hearing that word? You're enough because Jesus is enough. And maybe some of the issues that we're dealing with that he'll address in chapter 7, 8, and 9 are a byproduct of our failure to understand our identity and our orientation around that identity. So welcome to church today. And we, I mean, we need encouragement and we need um, opportunity when we're walking through difficult times. The first time that I realized, 
And this isn't even like a spiritual thing. Um, My running statement for today, I don't know how many times I'll say it. It may just be this once. I think Paul's looking at the church at Corinth and saying, be careful to not trivialize the sacred. Early in chapter 7, he deals with that in in form of sexual reality. He deals with that in form of relationships. He's dealing that in what we're going to read in a moment in form of what we are enslaved toward. He's going to deal with that in so many different contexts to um, quote Cam. It's in all the things. Like in all the things, he's just kind of looking and saying, you're like creating bondage. You're not living where you are. You're not living as a sanctified, set-apart person. So how do we come along and encourage you in that? So my first experience of recognizing not living where I should was when I was a 12-year-old kid. I, I don't have the picture of my Pop Warner football days when I was 12. But I do have the 10-year-old picture. It's on the screen in this moment. And so um, it's very hugely intimidating. I know. It's striking fear in the room. Um, I'm number 99. I'm playing um, nose tackle. I, I would flex back and forth between center, I mean, I'm sorry, middle linebacker and nose tackle. And then there's this, there's this beautiful thing that happens um, for me when I was 16 going to 17. Um, I definitely, at this point in life, 10, moving toward 12, uh, was struggling. I grew nine inches in one year when I was 15 to 16 years old. Until then, this is what you got on the screen. This, the uniform's way too big. It's dragging everywhere. But I had a lot of heart. I was a little bit mean and a lot passionate. And so um, that played out well on the field. Just everybody was way bigger than us. And so this is year one. So it really helps the story well of our being utterly defeated. So we went defeated that year. Did not win a game. The next year, my 11-year-old year, we were defeated again. And so our coaches are the same. Um, oh, gosh, how could I blame? Keith? And Billy, Coach Keith and Coach Billy are the same guys all three years. We come into preseason in my 12-year-old season, and they sit down with us, and they encourage us. And they look at us and say, and they they really appeal to some things that I think are kind of important for Paul and the church at Corinth and important for us. They're like, "Um, look, you guys are West Mecklenburg. You are West Mech to the core, and you're representing this area. And so for those of you um, that are not aware of where I'm from, I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm from the west side. There is nothing since 1978 overwhelmingly great that has happened on the west side of Charlotte. It's the rough side. It's the challenging side. It's the side of Charlotte that people avoid. And I grew up in the middle of it and had no idea. And our coaches were like yelling at us. I didn't know why they were yelling. They were just a little passionate. They were like, do you not know you're ambassadors? You've lost 20 straight games. And then they used language that I'm not sure they should have with 12-year-olds. And then they sent us running. And so we ran for an hour, and then they sat back down, and it got really personal at that point. So they're appealing to the name on the front of the jersey, and then they're appealing. Like, they look at me and go, Siegel. And actually, that's not at all what they said, because my brother was five years older than me. Little Siegel, how, how are you doing that? What are you doing? We've, we've put you as captain of this squad, and you have done nothing but lead us into losses for the last two years. And I'm like offended by this whole thing. And, and so I, I'm, I'm looking at them going, it's your fault. The, the, here's the thing about being a 12-year-old captain. Be not impressed at all with this reality. The only thing I gained is tremendous loss because at homecoming, I was required to meet the 
queen. This is, I'm 12. Keep this in mind. This is the most horrific moment of my childhood. I had to meet the queen at the halftime midfield, hand her flowers, and I had to kiss her on the cheek. That was awful. It was horrifying. And so I've got to get the story going now. And so he hits us with that, and then he says, little seagull, your brother is up at the high school. He is, he is ambassadoring our name. He is, he is playing with all of his heart. He's playing defensive ends, making stops left and right. Can you not step into what your family's about if you can't step into what we've handed you? And I'm like, Coach Keith Billy, okay. It's really a turning point for us. It was a pretty significant one. I've looked everywhere to, to find what was the outcome of that. I appreciated his encouragement. It carried all throughout the year. It involved a lot of pain and sacrifice, and it involved a lot of turning of who we are. But we went 11-0 in Charlotte, North Carolina, representing the west side that year. Same guys, same everything, just some corrective steps taken. We ended up in Atlanta playing in the regionals. It's the first and only game I played in the snow. It was awful and painful, and it hurts when you're cold, just so you know. And this is one of my last of two years of playing football because, again, I was a little dude. But I, I was just, I was thinking like everyone needs encouragement. Some of us are going to sit and laugh with our friends and just kind of go, we're good today and walk out. And Paul's like looking in going, do you not know that you represent the eternity of what Jesus is doing? And don't you know this? And don't you know that as in this south side of Jacksonville, we're kind of looking for some people to be ambassadors for this name. His name is Jesus. It's a really beautiful name. Could you flesh out his name as you walk about? in culture. Um, Little Seagull, man, I know you know me. I would love for you to live for me for a few moments and flesh this out. And I would love for us to move into what Jesus is doing more fully. That's really how Paul is coming to the church at Corinth in the seventh chapter, and it's, and it's not a lighthearted moment or a little moment. He's coming in really excited and saying, I don't want you to trivialize the sacred. And so listen to what he says to them in verse 17. Let each one of you live his life in the situation which the Lord has assigned you when God called you. Now, the next part's going to be fascinating because it's something that they're um, deliberating in their culture as they all come into Christ and come out of covenantal reality of Old Testament choosing of Israel. And he said something that we probably won't resonate with. I command all of this in the churches. Was anybody already circumcised when he was called? Then you don't undo this. I don't know how you can medically, but just don't undo it. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Don't get circumcised. Circumcision does not matter, and uncircumcision does not matter. This is a huge debate in the, in the book of Acts. This is a huge conversation because what they're bringing to the table is what are we presenting externally versus what Jesus is asking for is the circumcision of our heart. And so maybe going back to the first verse, don't you know your calling? Don't you know what you've been about? And when God called you into this, step in and embrace the assignment. And here's what he's saying. Life isn't necessarily going to change. I had this conversation outside between services today. Life may be extraordinarily difficult still. Things may still continue to topple. Here's what I am asking of you. Can you not, in what you are in the midst of, when I called you to me, can you not perpetuate the gospel in that context and moment? 
This, this, is, this is the invitation of, of Paul to the church at Corinth. And so keeping God's commands, you should circle this in verse 19. This is what matters. We're not going to deal with these circumcision issues. Let each of you remain in the situation into which it was called. And I would suggest the next sentence, not one person in this room would take this as a lighthearted matter. Were you called while a slave? Don't let it concern you. Because ultimately, you're a slave of Christ. You can become free. Do this. Take the opportunity. For he who is called by the Lord as a slave is actually the Lord's freedman. I won't get to that yet. Likewise, I mean, are you sitting like in this room feeling utterly in bondage to circumstances? The majority of us have some things we're saying yes. And the Lord is saying, live out your calling in the middle. You are a bondservant to Jesus. Your heart has been circumcised toward things of his. And so live freely in that. Don't you know in verse 23, you were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of people. Don't seek the wisdom of those around you. Seek the heart of God. Seek a heart of people who will pursue the heart of God. Brothers and sisters, each person is to remain with God in the situation in which he was called. Wow. So... My first of three thoughts, and, and I'll move as rapidly as possible. Number one, every one of us should remain in our calling or return to it today. That would be alongside what Garrett was talking about when he was talking about repentance. There were some things that the Lord invited you to as you came to know him that just became deeply passionate for you, and you've slid away from some of those things. So what will you do about that today? Would you remain in your calling today? Would you remain faithful? Our fundamental identity, which is a people who have been saved by grace alone, through Christ alone, shapes and gives guidance for every single facet of our life. This, this identity, this reality. And so, again, when we're seeking approval and when we're seeking um, meaning in other places, it's then that we are moving away from what God has called us toward. And he has called us to great things. Like, first of all, we should just be like saying, thank you, Jesus, when I say your calling is just out of this identity that you were rescued from the depths of hell and the grave by the power of the cross of Christ. He lifted you out and placed you on solid ground. And most of us in the room should say, glory to God. This is the foundation for my calling, and this is the solid ground upon which I stand. This, this is the hope that I have, so I can remain in my calling because my calling is toward Jesus first and then toward what he has for me out of his glory and his goodness. So my identity in Christ is the wellspring from which everything else flows. And when it's not flowing from that, you're going to grab parts of chapter 7 early on and marriage is going to be disrupted. I love verse 2 and I hate verse 2 because I have had so many say to me as we talk about sexual identity, and sexual sin you just don't understand today. So welcome to preaching this morning. Chapter 7, verse 2 says, there was immorality everywhere. And I know we love to just sit and go, you're like old school, you're thinking another way. No, it was old school 2,000 years ago as well to just sit and ponder our reality and life and the calling of Jesus. And so we just have this privilege of saying, Lord, how do I remain in the midst of my calling when... So many things are imploring for me to find my identity through them. I'm actually giving myself away 
thinking that somehow that will be my salvation, and it is not. And so Paul just looks says, so whatever circumstance you're in, remain in the midst of your calling. And this is the grace gift of Christ. It's the wellspring. And when this happens, when we move in this manner, we will occupy every space with the grace and goodness of the gospel. Imagine that as the body of Christ. Like when we're walking about, we'll be confident in our faith because I'm just going to read scripture now. So let me just read scripture for a little while. We're going to be confident in our faith because God confirmed our testimony in Christ. Our future hope is not on the manifold skill or circumstances that we bring or the potential of our achievements, but it will be in our rescuer, Jesus Christ. In Christ, we're sustained to the end, according to chapter 1. I believe it's verse 8. His promise is that the guilty are made guiltless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to your calling. It will, it will just be this laser-like focus of Paul that we are certain of this because God is faithful, not us. And we will then have the framework for everything that lends into our calling. And then we'll fulfill this. Don't you know that you were bought with the price? You cannot ponder being enslaved to people. Amen. And so I, I want to read. I, I couldn't think of any other place in, to go with this except Hebrews 11. And I had no idea as I was preparing this that Garrett would read Hebrews 12. One. And so I just saw two words that keep spinning as I remember my calling. Like, how do people flesh this out and walk this out? And Hebrews 11 is filled with it. And there's two words that just keep rolling out. And I won't read all of it. You should this week. But it just says, um, by faith. They just centered in their calling. By faith. Faith is action Faith is belief in action. Faith is saying, Lord, I know that you have called me and set me apart and purposed me for your glory. It's sacred. It matters. And I'm going to live it out. And so that, that's by faith. You get names like um, Abraham and Abel and, and, and Moses and on and on. I just want to pick up where we left off last weekend. I mean, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after being marched around by the Israelites for seven days. By faith, Abram, or Rahab, who was in the gates, and prostituted herself, was made new in Christ, welcomed the spies in peace, and did not perish for, with those who disobeyed. And what more can I say? Time is too short. I don't have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, who did not forget their calling, who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle, and put armies to flight. That all sounds really great. And then you get to this part. Women received their dad, raised to life again. Other were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection because they remembered their calling in the middle of it. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sewn in two. They died in the sword. They wandered with sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the deserts and on mountains, and they hid, and yet all these were approved through their faith, even though they didn't receive what was promised because God had provided something far better so that they would not be made perfect without us. And this is just this incredible, what does it look like to remain in your calling? 
And we have this heroes of the faith chapter we kind of like to read, and we like the next verses. Therefore, since we're surrounded by them, we should rah-rah. And I think, therefore, since we're surrounded by them, we should repent and return to the Lord and ask, where were we when we came to know you? And God, are we as passionate as we were at that point? Or have we started seeking approval in other places? And Lord, what is our calling? And where do we express this? And how do we occupy the spaces around us with the goodness of Jesus? How do, we, how do we live and flesh this out? Lord, would you just draw us to yourself so that we'll remain in our calling? And my second truth is just this. It's an interior work. So when I ask the hows, I'm just recognizing it's the who. It's Jesus. Uh, on the screen is a definition right now. A vertically derived identity will provide the freedom that you need to do that which is of first importance. So we're going to say this to Jesus, Lord, help me to occupy my workspace, my life space, my family space with the hope of the gospel. Well, it is an internal reality of our identity in Christ. You will neither hear nor receive the calling apart from the interior work of God in Christ. And this is, this is the challenging part. Work out your salvation, Paul says in Philippians 2, a heart verse of my own. With fear and trembling, for it is Christ who works within you. He'll will and he'll act for his good purposes. And in this, it just says our past, present, and future are confirmed, declared, secured, enriched, made whole, and sustained in Jesus. Leading to this cry of our interior soul. Lord, I hear you have a calling. Lord, I would like to fulfill that calling. Lord, I want to know you. The Hebrew word is yada, for knowledge of God. The Greek word is genosko, for knowledge of God, not grandly different. And what they literally mean is this. There has become an intimacy that is so rich between you and the Father, you and the Son, you and the Spirit. There is this Trinitarian love that is flowing through you, and it is so poignant that there is not a point that you can really differentiate between your unity with Christ and your, your disunity, if you will, or your uniqueness in yourself. You're just merging with the Lord. Jesus was praying this in John 17 when he was like crying out to the Lord, God, would you give the people that you have called and you have set apart such a unity that they will be the same as you and I, that you and I are one. There is almost this reality of, of encounter with the Lord um, where there's just this oneness with Father, Son, and Spirit, and he is inviting us into this oneness in a similar fashion. And it's just this invitation to an intimacy that we we can only just we can only just ponder like the Lord is just saying, Lord, bring us to wholeness and oneness. I don't even know what to do with this right now except to run to Enoch. And, and, and I just ran across this again this week. I think it's been eight years since I mentioned him. And he is in um, the 11th chapter of Hebrews. Um, I'm not sure which verse, the fifth verse. And he's also found in Genesis 5, 21 through 24. Here's like the passion of our soul. Here's how it reads. Enoch walked with God. His life lasted 365 years, and then he was not here. God took him. I first read that about 20, 25, 30 years ago, and I just become like a prayer passion. Like, Lord, how did this happen? And I let that go a long time ago. So, Lord, it appears 
that Enoch walked in such an interior life with you, if you will. He walked with such intimacy with you that there seemed to be some tipping point in his life where your life became so much his life that he just walked off this earth. It's a crazy aspiration, I know, but I would love for you to join me in praying for it. I would love for you to join me in pursuing Jesus in such a manner that it's possible that is, it, his life is being conformed and in, in your life is being conformed into his image. Your life is being conformed. Into, like you're looking at the Father and going, Jesus, you and I are one, and, and I, I don't know, Lord, how you want to more fully express your life for me. So, so let me, to sing the song, make room for you. Let me make room for your life. Lord, let me, examine me, Lord. Examine me, Lord. And Lord, let me set aside the things that are not of you. And so, Lord, would you do an interior work that would be so amazing that it's like, like Enoch, it says in Genesis. So Genesis is just fun. It's just a listing of, you know, people. I'm just running through all these people. This person did this. This person did this. this. You can miss it just walking through the text and, and not realize what you just missed because it just says Enoch. And, and here's what, he was like, he's just married and just working, just having kids, having, having more kids, living th- 365 years. If, if you want a little nice factoid about him, you use him in, in anachronism, anachronism here and there when, when you talk about um, your oldest Methuselah, and so he's the father of Methuselah. Thank you for that piece of trivia. And so uh, that, that's him, and then you just hit this moment when, you, when it turns from, I'm having kids, I'm walking about, I'm loving Jesus, he's loving me, we're walking together, to he just left. He got so lost, move, move, scrap that word, so found, in Jesus, he just walked with him off the earth. I I'm, have that running theme. I, I, I hope I know show one day, and there's just this vast mystery. That guy loved Jesus so much. He got so lost in him and understood his calling through him and understood the gravity of life and would, would never want to trivialize the sacred. And then one day he's just gone. It's, it's an interior reality, and I, I think I want to go back to the, the second thought. A lot of us are building our identity, and that is an utter failure, as opposed to receiving who we already are in Christ and pursuing the knowledge of God. In closing, we should also be living this calling. God cares deeply how we interact with the world. Paul is convinced that the world will sustain his people. I've already suggested this in chapter 1, verse 8. The rest of it is just telling us this, that the church is really unhealthy. Corinth is really unhealthy. The issues they face, um, I'm asking, like, how does this turn out? How is this going to play out? How can those who have received the grace of God and who have, who will preserve to the very end, live in the manner in which they are living. And, and I think he wants a troubled church. Paul's like looking at this church and saying, here's what I want you to know about this, and then uh, I'll tell you where I spent the last hour or two last night praying. Um, here's what I would say is on the screen. God's objective truth for the church at Corinth overrides their subjective experience in the moment. 
In other words, I've made some declarations over you, and I have made you whole, and now I'm asking you to live into it. I'm inviting you to live into the fullness of what I have called for you. As the body of Christ, who are ambassadors of Jesus, who have been adopted by Christ, who were known before the foundation of the world, who are forgiven in him, who have the Spirit of God, I am inviting you in. I could go on and on. That's the tip of the iceberg. I am inviting you into who he says and what he says of you. To grow into this grace and this knowledge of Jesus. Christ's work on our behalf is foundational to our identity and foundational to our experience in him. And here's the beautiful part, and I wish I'd put this on the screen. It's foundational to know this, that we are identified as followers of Jesus and made whole in him, and that trumps their ability to soil it through their failings. And I just, I just lived in Romans 7 for a little while last night. I turned off the gator game and just kind of sat down in Jesus for a little while, and um, apparently that was a good idea. And I just said in Paul, and he just kind of wrestles with this, and he doesn't give us the fulfilling answer. In Romans 7, he just looks and says, here's where you're at, Corinth. The, the things that I long to be about, these callings, these passions, I keep dropping the ball. The things that I long to move away from, I keep running toward. And I, I am desperate to know this, this grand conundrum of this interior work of God in Christ. I am longing to know how to pursue Jesus and his calling. I am longing to have that fulfilled. And maybe that's the beginning point, even as I sat down with Paul and wrestled this out with him, because I too can join the journey of the things I don't want to be about, I tend to run toward. And the things that I want to be about, I tend to run away from. And oh Lord, through your grace and kindness, would you turn my my heart and your interior work? Would you fulfill your calling in my life? And would you allow me to be a, an ambassador of your name in this earth? To understand that this is the things that we're to be about as the body of Christ, they are sacred before him. And so we're free in Jesus just to live out his name. And I, I think in doing so, um, we should go back and remember this. We cannot trivialize the sacred. That's, that's what I think Paul is saying to the church, is this idea of, of um, I think your identity matters. I think what you're about matters. I think where you are matters. And we don't have time to deep dive in this, but I, I just do want to scratch the service and come back again next week in opening scripture. Here's what he's saying in chapter 17, or chapter 7, verses 17 through 24. He's saying to the body of Christ these words. I want to speak some hope into some situations. I, I want to give hope to those who are currently in bondage. That does not define you. And in the midst of your bondage, I don't think anyone in this room would suggest that the word bondservant or slave, it can be translated either way, is a lightweighted word. I think he is saying, I want you to know this. That this was where you found yourself when I found you and rescued you spiritually and placed you on solid ground. So in the midst of that, I'm inviting you to flesh out who Jesus is. If you can be free, glory to God, but you're already free. That's, that's the amazing truth. I, I think that there's nothing light about this sentence. He, he would look and say, for those of you that are just truly struggling with your jobs right now, they were never your hope to start with. They were never your identity. They were never what makes you whole. I am. 
So welcome to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. These are some of the things I think he would have looked at. I think he would have said, I want to give pause to those of you who have forgotten that every person is made in my image and are image bearers. And when you trivialize that which I call sacred, you are trivializing my name. To the body of Christ, the vast majority of this room, and women, you have done an amazing job of catching up with us. And it's horrible for you. But the vast majority of this room are trivializing people as they, as they see people not as image bearers of God, but as self-pleasure for self. An incredible reality of this room is what has been invited from us by Garrett, which is utter repentance and accountability among the body of Christ for sexual purity through the body of believers in Christ. And that just hits and everybody goes silent. And the reality data is we are, we are filled with challenges in this room right now. And the reality of the question is this, Lord, do we understand our calling? Are we willing to invite you to examine us and do an interior work? And will we flesh this out? It's fascinating to me that two of the primary things he dealt with was sexual immorality and marriage. Marriage is the truth and reality of the love of Christ for his church. And uh, the image bearers are the reality of sexual brokenness. And it's fascinating that two of the primary areas where God would be most glorified are the places of greatest struggle among the body of Christ. And what an incredible opportunity we have to be a redemptive community and walk about looking at this in this way. Lord, as I read through all of this chapter 7, there's some things that I'm unsure about, but I see in the midpoint that you're doing an interior work, you're growing us in your grace and knowledge, and you are good. And Lord, how do I step in to these places where I was when you called me, and how do I grow in the knowledge of who you are, and how do I glorify you? Because God, the last thing I want to do is to trivialize a sacred and primary desire of my soul is to glorify your name. And so I, I close in this way. He closed in this way. We're bound to Christ. We're free in Jesus. This is ironic because we are bound to Jesus. We're enslaved to him. No one or no thing should lay claim to our soul. We belong as followers of his fully to Christ. Colossians 3, I believe, 23 and 24 says, So when that's true, I will do everything wholeheartedly from the soul, from my interior life, for your glory, Lord. I'll do it with my heart, with who I am. And so here's, here's where I end. That wherever and whatever, in the midst of it, we're faithful to love our God in Christ. Wherever and whatever we are, I think we use the word calling far too much to talk about preachers and not enough to talk about each of us. Wherever we are, Lord, we're going to glorify you Whatever we do, it's not mysterious. Everything is sacred. Everything we're about is sacred. It brings glory to God, and this matters. Where we are right now, that's our call. In this moment, we're to be faithful for the sake of the gospel. Thank you again for listening in to what God is doing here at Mandarin. We hope this is just the beginning to the gospel conversations we have and will share in through our weeks. 
We never want this to be the end of what God is doing, but just another launching pad for His glory and renown to be central in our lives and relationships. Again, we would love to help you take your next step of faith, possibly here with us as part of our Mandarin Faith family. You can visit us online at mandarinbaptist.org and facebook.com slash mandarinbaptistchurch to see what your next step of faith could be. We thank you again for joining us, and we hope to see you soon.